you have your Bibles, turn with us to the book of Mark. We're going to look in chapter 3. We're going to follow where we left off last week. Um, Mark chapter 3, we're going to look in verses 7 through 12. And just if there is a title, I tried to simplify things today. Um, Jesus impacting lives. Jesus impacting lives. We saw some struggles Jesus went through or some confrontations he he had to deal with the last couple weeks or last few weeks that we've been in, in the book of Mark. But today we want to see how we can impact lives. Have you ever asked yourself that? Have you ever asked if you, you know, am I making a difference in this world? Uh, from time to time, I ask myself that, and uh, myself won't answer, and I, I just have to trust the Lord. Um, most of us, if not all of us, we would like to know that we are making a difference, wouldn't we? Uh, that's one of the things I thought was odd. That was one of the things Brother Larry said to me uh, in his last couple of weeks. He said, I hope I'm making a difference, or I've made a difference in people's lives, and I it, I just shook my head. I said, Brother Larry, if you only knew the difference you've made in people's lives. I, I, I think that's why we, some of us do the things that we do. I, uh, I, I just believe that whether consciously or subconsciously, that's why some people become nurses. They want to make a difference. That's why some become social workers. Some become school teachers. Some become counselors. Some become mothers and fathers because they want to make a difference in someone's life. Uh, you know, we can do this in whatever area of life we are. I, uh, you know, just, just standing here thinking, beauticians, they make a difference in people's lives. I've got to have a haircut real soon. It makes a difference in my, 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 how I present myself and represent the family. Women would lose their mind if they weren't beauticians, wouldn't they? So they make a difference in people's lives. Bankers. <laughs> They make a difference because they're going, to, they're going to provide opportunities. Some employers, business owners, they're going to provide opportunity for someone that someone else wouldn't provide them opportunity with. It makes a difference in people's lives. As born-again believers, when we realize that our lives here on earth is meant to make a difference in someone else's life. If we ever really come to understanding that we're here so that we can present the gospel and allow the gospel to impact other people's lives, then the gospel will impact our lives more than we could ever imagine. If you want the gospel to impact your life, Impact somebody else's with the gospel. It'll change your life. We look here in, in this gospel, in chapter 3, verses 7 through 12, we, we begin to see how Jesus impacted lives. And he gives us an illustration on how we can impact others' lives. The Bible says, but Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. And a great multitude from Galilee followed him and from Judea and Jerusalem and Edomi 
and beyond the Jordan and those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they heard how many things he was doing, came to him. So he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. For he healed many, so that many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him. And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. This is God's holy word. God, we thank you for this day. And we ask, God, that you would allow this message, this passage to impact our lives. Help us, God, as we go forth today to proclaim your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Help us, God, to proclaim your gospel to this lost and dying world. And, God, if there's any today who doesn't know you through your son, Jesus Christ, if there's any who are far from you, God, we pray that you would speak to their hearts. Allow your Holy Spirit to minister to them in this hour, and we'll praise you. For all that's accomplished, in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. You know, last week, last week we learned that the Pharisees confronted Jesus concerning what they constituted as working on the Sabbath. While on his way to the synagogue with his disciples, Jesus' disciples, they they decided to pick some grain just to curb their hunger. Jesus is confronted about what his disciples had done. Once they arrived in the synagogue, Jesus spotted a man with a withered hand. And he also noticed that the Pharisees were watching him intently to see if he would heal this man on the Sabbath. These religious leaders we shared last week thought more about their rules, their rituals, their traditions, their customs than they did human beings. And they did this all in the name of obedience to the law of Moses. The law of Moses stated that the Israelites were to observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. They were to work six days and the Sabbath was a day of worship and rest. But the problem was that these religious leaders wanted to regulate what was permissible and what was not permissible for the Sabbath. And this led to neglect of helping people because it was the Sabbath day. So when Jesus called for the man with the withered hand to step forward and be healed, the Pharisees left the synagogue immediately to plot with the Herodians. I'll share who they are in just a few minutes to destroy Jesus. Now, after this, Jesus and his disciples withdrew to the Sea of Galilee from the synagogue. Now, we know Jesus is not one who would run away from confrontation. So there had to be a reason why Jesus was leaving. So perhaps Jesus just knew there was more for him to do. Perhaps he understood he had more that he needed to teach. So with the religious leaders and the political leaders, those Herodians, they were your politicians. They were plotting to destroy Jesus. So I think it would be safe to say that his time was not at hand. So he withdrew. 
The word withdrew, it carries the meaning to flee from danger. Now, we like to pride ourselves on having our own voice, don't we? Being able to stand our ground, not letting anyone push us around. We take pride in that. As a matter of fact, we'll teach our children to stand up for themselves. And that is fine. We should do that. Where we often fail is we don't always teach them when it's the right time to stand up for themselves. We, we can miss this because there's going to always be consequences to our actions. Two kids get in a fight at school because one is standing up for himself to a bully. Well, somebody's probably going home with a bruised eye, maybe a busted nose, probably a split lip. And parents are going to go have to meet with a principal. And and there's possibly somebody's getting suspended. and, And this could possibly affect college entrances. So there's always consequences to actions. Even within families, you know, discussions get heated, arguments ensue, words are said that cannot be unheard. Yeah, forgiveness takes place, but there are still consequences. Relationships can be severed, at least forever changed. There are times when we need to just withdraw. Not out of fear, but because it's just not the right time. Now, what does this mean for the church? Well, it means that we don't have to deal with situations head on at the beginning of the problem always. Now, this doesn't mean we avoid problems. This doesn't mean that we we just hope and wish that they go away. Sometimes we must allow emotions to die down or we're going to damage the church's fellowship in a way that we can't repair it. There are times when we need to just stop and consider the consequences before we speak. (laughs) Oh, you've got quiet. You know what I'm learning? I know my tone. And I bet every one of you know your own tone. And some of you will say, or some of us will say, well, they know how I am. Well, here's the truth. Here's the truth. We should always be evolving. If I'm the same person I was 20 years ago, I'm not much of a Christian. If I'm the same Christian I was 20 years ago, I'm not much of a Christian because I'm no different than who I was. We should always be growing. And if we're not willing to do the work to tame our our tone, then maybe we need to apply James 1, 19 through 20, which says, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce righteousness of God. (sighs) You know, because of my tone, and I I hear it all the time at home, (laughs) I've had to apologize to folks throughout these last 18 years, and Brother Michael's been on the receiving end of my apologies more than anyone else because... I recognize my tone can come off different than what I'm actually meaning. Here's why this is important. Jesus withdrew 
from the synagogue. Maybe he withdrew partly because he knew the Pharisees would come back. But he withdrew from them. Are you with me? When we find that people are withdrawing from us, we need to do some serious self-evaluations. Not look to blame others, but to seek God to teach us how to have a positive impact on other people's lives. Now, it may not sound like it, (laughs) but really, I want to encourage us today. And I, I want us to understand that our actions can have an impact on people. See, there, there's an, another probability as to why Jesus withdrew. It's possible that the congregation, the crowd, had gotten so large that the synagogue just could not accommodate it. Look there what the passage says. He says that there, there was such a crowd there that, that they followed him. It's, it calls it here a great multitude. A great multitude from Galilee followed him. Then it lists some other towns. It lists Judah and Jerusalem, Edume, Jordan, Tyre and Sidon, and a great multitude of, of people from these areas also went. Can you imagine? He uses the word great multitude twice. And that lets us know there's two great multitudes, and now they become one multitude. Mark. This multitude was so great that Jesus had his disciples to go and prepare a boat to make sure it was available to him just in case he needed it. Now, get this. He wasn't, he wasn't planning to leave the people with the boat. That's not why he wanted the boat. Just in case they were going to crush him, the Bible says he wanted the boat. In other words, he just wanted to put space between him and the crowd if it needed to be. In other words, he would get in the boat while the boat was right there in shallow water. Everybody would be gathered by the seashore and he would preach and he would teach to them. But that doesn't seem to be the case of what actually took place. We need to understand that if we're going to have an impact in people's lives, then we have to contribute to their lives. In other words, we have to spend some time with them. And it appears here that word had gone out about Jesus, how he had cast unclean spirit out of a man, how he had healed Peter's mother-in-law, how he had cleansed a leper, and how he had healed a paralytic. It appears here people came and they followed Jesus because they knew he could positively impact their lives and Jesus did just that he healed those who came to him with afflictions the people were so desperate to touch him that they pressed their way to him and it changed their lives their quality of life changed I I, I don't know maybe maybe some of them couldn't work but now they can Maybe some of them couldn't hold their children, but now they can. Perhaps some of them were on the brink of death, but now they have a new life. All because Jesus impacted their lives. You know, a couple chapters over, we read about a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years. The Bible teaches us that she spent everything that she had and she tried everything that the physicians encouraged her or or recommended for her to do and still she was no better but then she heard about Jesus 
She heard about what he had done and she heard that he was coming to town and, and while trying to make her make his way to Jairus' home to, to heal Jairus' daughter, this woman pressing through the crowd did everything that she could. This great multitude in front of her did everything she could just to reach and touch the hem of his garment. Ooh, she touched the hem of his garment. She was immediately made whole. Her life was forever changed. Her quality of life was such that she had never known. I believe with everything in me that Jesus wants to use us to make an impact in this world for the gospel. How is it that this applies to the church? Well, the same way it applies to us as individuals. The woman with the issue of blood heard about Jesus as she sought after him. The great multitudes heard what he had done and they followed him. This tells us that people were sharing that you could come to Jesus and he will meet your need. If you want to make a difference in someone's life, then we have to meet their need. And the greatest need anyone has is to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That means that, that we will need to, they will need to see Jesus in us. It folks that we must get out of our comfort zone. Right now, this is comfortable. We're in this place where we're worshiping together. We love each other. We, we hug on each other. We, we talk to each other. This is comfortable. But it's out there that the world has to see Jesus in us. Out there, they have to see that we love the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do they see that we love the gospel? By the way that we live the gospel. And when we live the gospel, it's such a way that they know that we love the gospel. They'll listen to us when we begin to share the gospel. Yes. Folks, we can't determine how people will respond to the gospel. Our impact is made when we love, we live, and we share the gospel. And if they respond like this woman who responded when she heard Jesus was coming by going to touch the hem of his garment, if, if we will respond in faith to the gospel... Receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the quality of the lives of those who are lost will change drastically because they'll have an eternal impact on their lives. Our impact, if we want to impact people's lives, we share the gospel. We bring them to a place where they have to make a decision for the gospel. Then we step out of the way and let Jesus work and let him impact their lives in ways that we can't. Oh, <laughs> yeah, our actions have an impact in the lives of people. But our actions also have an impact in the lives of principalities. Jesus has an impact. He had and he still has an impact on, over demonic spirits. Mark tells us that the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down and cried out, you are the son of God. The impact that Jesus had on the evil spirits was dramatic. His presence struck terrible fear in them. They fell down before him. One writer said that they knew 
they knew him and they knew his power in the spiritual world was greater than theirs. They could do nothing beyond his control. So when they saw him, they fell down before him. These unclean spirits, we've got to get this. They didn't fall down before Jesus and acknowledge him to be the son of God out of devotion. They, they not only acknowledged him to be the son of God, but they, they're acknowledging him to be the Messiah. But they didn't do this out of devotion. They done this out of fear. Pure fear. You know, in chapter 1, we read about an encounter in Capernaum that Jesus had with an, a man who had an unclean spirit. When Jesus had finished teaching in the synagogue, man possessed by an unclean spirit, or a good way to say that, he was in the grip of an unclean spirit. He approached Jesus, and the spirit spoke through this man saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You hear the fear there? They know that he had the power to destroy them. <laughs> oh, what an impact he had on their lives. Make no mistake, the impact, Jesus' impact on, the whole, on these evil spirits is one of terror. They tremble at his name. They may not be afraid of you. They may not be afraid of me, but they are terrified of our Lord Jesus Christ. James 2 and 19 says, you believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Aren't you glad he's not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a power, he's given us love, and he's given us a sound mind. What does this really mean for us? It means this, our actions have an impact on principalities. Our actions have an impact on evil spirits. If we reject Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives, we're saying we have no room for him in our lives. Some of you may be thinking, well, I don't have any room for Satan or his evil spirits in, in my life either. Well, when you reject Jesus, that's to reject the light that has the power to keep the forces of darkness out of your life. And, when, <laughs> and they will take up residence if the light is not lit in your life. You reject Jesus, and they'll possess you. What do you mean, preacher? Romans 1, 28 through 32 says this, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. King James says reprobate mind. To do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God and that 
those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do the same, but also approve those who practice them. Folks, <laughs> to do these things, these are the works of, our, of Satan. So to want to do these things, to desire to do these things is to be led and guided by his presence in your life. So if we reject Jesus, we're inviting Satan to rule our lives. But today, today you can call on the name of the Lord and he will rebuke all the evil spirits. He conquered death, hell, and the grave when he rose victorious on the third day. And today he offers you victory over death, hell, and the grave. Today you can choose to serve the one who can give you victory over any and every unclean spirit. The choice is yours as they come to prepare the song of invitation. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. Listen, while evil spirits tremble before Jesus, this is not what he wants from us. He truly wants to impact your life. He's offering the grace of his salvation to you today. The grace of his salvation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that when, that while we were dead in the trespass of our sins, we had no hope, no peace, no joy. We didn't know how to love, but Jesus left the portals of glory to be born of a virgin in a stable, in a world that would make no room for him. Shepherds worshipped him. Wise men worshipped him. But the religious leaders, the politicians, they wanted nothing to do with him. He lived a sinless life. And when no fault of his own or no fault could be found in him. Like a lamb being led to the slaughter, he said not a word. He gave his life for you and for me. And on the third day, he was raised in victory. If you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, he will impact your life. He will change the quality of your life. He will change your outlook on life. As a matter of fact, he will give you a new life. You don't have to come to him fearful. He wants you to come with a broken and a contrite heart. He wants you to come humbly repenting of your sin. Would you today?